Now, as we, as we turn to God's Word, and again, reminded of that verse that's right there on the back of the bulletin, there it is, John 20, 31. These things are written for a purpose. These aren't, things aren't just written to take up our time. These things aren't written to take up Sunday mornings. These things aren't written so that I will have devotional reading to do. These things are written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But not only that, but that believing you may have life in his name. As we, as we wrap up the Gospel of John, I, I, I kind of, this morning, I, I just want to take a, a somewhat, I, I don't mean it to be a casual walk through, but I want us to just take a, a, a journey through again and just remind us of some of the key moves along the way. But the purpose of that is God is showing himself through the sending of his Son. God is showing us who he is because we need to know who our God is. There are all kinds of ideas that echo around in our own mind. What we think is true, what we think God must be like, that is often filtered out of assumptions from our own experience with others. Life seems like this, and so God must be like this. This must be how it works. But God so often contradicts our experience with reality. He contradicts our experience with reality. God has shown us who he is. God has extended himself. He's introduced ourselves to it. And it's not just a story that's repeated and handed down and turns into tradition that becomes the tradition of men and gets twisted this way and that way. God has set it out for us so that you and I can go back to the, the source, even as close as to those who saw him and believed. And yet he said, blessed are you who haven't seen him yet, but believe because we need to believe our God. We need to believe him about him. We need to believe him about us. So let me jump into the Gospel of John again, just reminding us kind of from one end to the other, starting, starting I, I, I guess, in chapter 1, where we, where we hear from the last of the prophets, John the Baptist. He points to Jesus, and he points his disciples to Jesus. He says, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God's lamb comes for the purpose of. God, God in his son is wrapping up all of the Old Testament sacrifice in himself. What that foreshadowed, what that predicted, what that anticipated, he fulfills. He is the removal in himself of our guilt, our sin, that which separates us from God. Well, that's pretty heavy. That's pretty theological. And then we move from there to a wedding party. It's strange. It's a strange way the way the, the, the Gospel of John shifts from there. But there's a reality of life, and there is the best of human experience. Some of you are married. A lot of you are married. Some of you are fairly recently married. That's special, isn't it? Oh, my. What a wonderful day. What a wonderful celebration. And, 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 and yet, as, as much, and, and one of the things I caution young couples against is, is putting all of the buildup into that day's celebration because the, the marriage is so much more than that. 
And yet, there's a lot we put into that day's celebration because this is big, this is special. And yet, uh, it isn't long after the big special day when everybody looks their best. It isn't long until it's not all that it's supposed to be. You know, in a Jewish wedding, they have a strange tradition. In the midst of the celebration, they stop and they pause and they'll take a glass and the groom stomps on it. You know why he does that? He breaks this glass, this broken glass, in the midst of all the wonderful celebration. They're remembering at their most joyous of times, they're remembering that we're still lacking. There's something missing here. And what they're remembering, the missing of, they're remembering the destruction of the temple. In fact, the temple in Israel, the first one at the Babylonian captivity and the second one by the Romans in 70 A.D., both of them ended up being ruined on the same day. And in that temple and its loss, they're remembering a separation from God. That life, as good as it is at its best, is not yet here now what it's supposed to be. Jesus comes to a wedding. And it can't be what it's supposed to be. It falls short. It's kind of like getting rained on your wedding. I mean, we're just about to start the thing, and then it just crashes down. And Right? We, we were there this summer. That, that They run out of wine. And obviously, it wasn't a Baptist wedding, right? They run out of, now, now, wine in the Old Testament and, and, and Israel's, Israel's society, it, it wasn't about getting drunk, but it was about the celebration of, of the blessings of life. And that's run out. It's missing. It's short. And so Mary knows exactly what she's doing and who Jesus is. He is the one that, he is the only one that can make life what it's supposed to be. And she comes and tells him, and he kind of puts her off a little bit, but he does it. He does it, and he saves the best for last. Do you believe it? Do you believe it in the midst of this broken, that God has the best, that fulfillment is in him, that his purpose is in restoring humanity to the joy of life celebration that it's supposed to be, and we'll fall short of it here, and yet he saves the best for last, and he is coming, and we will be with him forever. In a restored humanity, in a restored creation, that it will be the fullness of what the Garden of Eden dreamed of being when Adam and Eve walked together in the cool of the day. It's interesting, it's not long, it's right after that where you have the disrupting of the traditional religion as it is there in the temple with the money changers and one of the teachers comes to Jesus by night, Nicodemus, and he understands the law in and out. He is the teacher of Israel. He is a, he is a noble man. And Jesus cuts right to the chase to him. He needs to believe. He needs to believe that he and himself in his humanity, cannot climb up to where God is. There is no do-over. He must be born again. He says, how can I do that? I can't do that. I can't do a do-over. I can't start anew. I have already come through this much life. He's an old man, and he knows he's fallen short. Jesus says, you must be born again. Not born again physically to mess it up all over again physically, but born from above to be born into God's family by God's Spirit. Jesus came to his own, his own didn't receive him, but as many as received him, he gave the right, the power, the authority, the the embrace, the standing to be children of God to those who believe in his name. To 
anybody. In fact, he says, well, you know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Oh, we miss that. We've got John 3.16, and we don't soak in John 17 because we've got a different idea of God in our heads. That God's still, he's still keeping score. He's still watching. He's still judging. He's still holding us at arm's length. That is not the purpose of why Jesus came. That is not God's purpose with us. God does not intend to keep us at arm's length. God has removed our guilt, our sin, our shame, so that his love is free to embrace. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? We see it in chapter 4, don't we? There's a woman at the well, and Jesus has to, go by, has to go through Samaria. He doesn't have to go through Samaria to get to Galilee, but he has to go through Samaria because be, he's got to get there in the middle of the day to Jacob's well because there's going to be a woman there at the middle of the day. Why would there be a woman there at the middle of the day? That's not the time for women to come to the well. All the women come early in the morning before it's too hot because they're carrying these big jugs of water. But she comes in the middle of the day, at a hot part of the day, so that she won't be there when the other women are coming there to the well because the other women are talking about women like her because of what, where she's been, what she's done, and what she's doing even today. And yet Jesus meets her there. And he draws her out. He begins to talk to her. He, he, he pulls her, almost dragging and kicking, into a conversation with him. And she's like, what are you? I'm a, I, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're a rabbi. I'm a woman. Why are you even talking to me? Why would God come to the likes of me? I would think. I would say. And yet he does. We don't believe it. We want to withdraw and hide in our knowledge of where we've been. And Jesus, Jesus acknowledges that. He pulls a little of that out of her too. Not to shame her, to tell her, I know. And yet I'm here. We think that stuff keeps us away. It doesn't keep him away. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he comes near to you because he loves you? Do you believe, in fact, that God loves you more than you know, that God loves you more than you love yourself. Now, is that just a nice platitude? I can say that. It sounds really good. Oh, it feels all warm and fuzzy. I'm, I'm a warm and fuzzy guy. You know that, right? Yeah. People think, yeah, right, Bob. I can tell you that. It's true. He does love you more, more than you know. He loves you more than we grasp. He loves you more than you love yourself. God loves you more than him. he loves himself. Can I say that? God loves you more than he loves himself. Can I say that? I'm asking you, Jordan. Can I say that? Luke's nodding because he's going to go along with whatever I say. John 3, 16. For God so loved you that he gave himself. That's what it says. Do you believe that he treasures you even more than his own place and position? That's what it says. Do you believe it? John chapter 5, in the midst of our helplessness, that all sounds wonderful. I can't wait to get to God, but I can't. I cannot do it. I cannot move there. I can't get myself there. There's this man. He's at the pool of Bethesda. He cannot help himself. 38 years of futility. Some of you have been 70 or more years in fertility. It's nothing new. That's life, right? 38 years of I still 
can't find what I'm looking for. 38 years of I cannot get there. I cannot do it. I cannot satisfy the need that I have. And Jesus says, get up, take up your bed and walk. Jesus comes to him. He can't come to Jesus. Jesus comes to him. And Jesus lifts him up and sends him on his way. And in the midst of doing that, he's going he's to come to know who Jesus is, who his God is for him. He lifts us up. He gives us eternal life. He sets us, and then, then we, we start. You thought, I believed, I, 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 I understood, I came to know who God was for me, and I believed, and I was saved. I'll tell you what, you were born again, and you just began to know. You just begin to know the depths of his love and his grace and his riches for us, toward us who believe. In fact, Paul says we haven't even seen the whole of it yet. We are just getting a glimpse of all that our God has for us in his love for us, that he does for us. But this we know. I'm still in John chapter 5, verse 24 now. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Do you believe eternal life is something that you'll receive one day? Eternal life, for some of you, is something you receive one day. I hope it's actually today. I mean, I'm wanting you to head off to heaven today. No, that's not, that's not eternal life. That, that, that Jesus says that the one who believes in God who sent him has eternal life. It's already started. He does not come into judgment in the future. Or you could translate that, he will not come into judgment, but has already passed out of death into life. Life is not merely a matter of existence. It's a matter of relationship. Jesus defines it when he prays for us. God prays for us. And he says, Lord, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. For us to know him is life. And that's what he calls us into. That's what he invites us into, that that God wants to know you. God wants to, to, to give us this life of what it's supposed to be, what we long for, what we hunger for, and we, we try to fulfill it in all kinds of different ways, and yet it's, he, he, he says in the midst of the religious tradition of the day, he comes into the midst of the context there where people understand it, and in the midst of a, of a ritual where they would take a big jug, of, at a dry time of the year, they would take this big jug of water, and they would pour it out on the dry, dusty ground there in the temple precinct. And, 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 and he says, if anyone thirsts, and they didn't have their hydro flask, they didn't have their 16.9 ounce bottle. Why is it 16.9? You, you wonder that? I don't know. They, they didn't have their 16.9 ounce bottle of water. Here's this water on a hot day, poured out. And he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And if you do, out of your hearts will flow rivers of living water. Jesus inviting them into the same thing that Isaiah 55 invites us into where the Lord says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine. There's that wine again. Wine and milk without money, without price. 
Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Tip your ear toward me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. That's what God has for you. All these distractions, all the things. And still, still, being saved, knowing Jesus as my Savior, knowing that because of him my guilt is gone, there's nothing between me and my Savior except my own wanderings this way and that way, still chasing the stuff, looking for fulfillment, thinking that this or that will in fact satisfy, at least a little bit, for now. Shiny things distract us, right? And yet, he says, if you're hungry... Come to me. There is nothing that will satisfy you more in your humanity than knowing and walking with in relationship, which means knowing his will so you follow along in it, but for the purpose of walking with him and, and in relationship, nothing will satisfy more than that. Parents with children, nothing you can do matters more than showing and telling that relationship with God to your kids. We saw that yesterday in a family, four generations of Vern Hutchinson, Vern and Peggy Hutchinson's family, and the legacy of hope that they have, they have left down through those generations. They, they did that well. And nothing else matters quite like that. Our Lord says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he's come to give us abundant life. He contrasts it this way. He says, he compares it to this shepherding. And, and there's some who look after the sheep, but they're looking after them actually for themselves. It looks like they're doing something for somebody or for something, caring for these animals, but they're not. They're looking after themselves. He said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We sometimes believe that God wants to withhold from us. We sometimes believe that God is holding something back, that, that a lot of what's good in life is not right for us for some reason. So we're just going to have to lay that aside because, well, because we're Christians and we're supposed to be miserable, I suppose. God, the maker of it all, has the Best for us is now, now he knows best better than we do. That's part of it. That's part of the conflict. But he says, I've come not merely that they'll have life, not merely that they'll exist forever, not merely that they'll be with me in heaven instead of in hell because they're still separated from me, but I want them to have abundant life. I want to have them to have all the wine at the wedding they could drink. Not so that you would end up in dissipation in excess, but to the, the, the full joy of what God's kingdom eventually will be. Life as it's intended, the shalom of fullness of blessing and harmony and relationship and goodwill back and forth and the enjoying of one another's company and the enjoying together of God's company with us. That's the abundant life. We get to, if we step into it, we get to taste that in this thing called church. We get to in relationships, and you think of some of the best relationships you've had, typically in smaller group settings where you're known by others. They know you. Yeah, they even know that, and yet still they accept you. 
And in that kind of relationship, you're safe, you're loved, you can be who you are, and they're going to help you to be more, and you're going to help them. And you stretch a little bit together because they do that to you, and you end up doing that for them. That best of those kind of Christian fellowship relations, that's just nibbling around the edges of what our life together in relationship with God is going to be forever. I've come that they would have life abundantly. You you will be told often how much God is withholding from you, how much you're missing out of, but that is not God's testimony himself. Even, Even in the midst of troubles, even in the midst of heartache, even in the midst of like yesterday, Today, we'll, we'll have a memorial service this afternoon for another one of our church families, the Hawkins family. They, they, they miss Armand. We haven't lost Armand. We know exactly where he is. He's in the fullness of joy. It's the rest of us still mucking it out here in the wind and the rain that are having trouble with it all. And yet, in the midst of that kind of thing, we want to just push that off a little more. I, I remember being in the, in the hospital with my father-in-law, and we prayed urgently, God, give us more days. A few years later, the old guy's doing pretty good. <laughs> Keep praying for George. We want him to step into more of this fullness of life in Christ and to have that f- overflowing out of him. We want to see what God has done for him. We'd like to hear clearer and fuller testimonies out of him from the grace of God. But in those times, there are times when God doesn't seem to answer that prayer the way that you wanted it to. There's times when you would say, like Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, God, where were you? If only you had showed up, where were you? As if God's job is to keep us from the potholes in life. If God's job is to forestall death as long as possible, and yet we know it's going to catch us anyway. We're right, death is the enemy. It wasn't supposed to be that way. And yet what God has done for us is not to push death off into the future. He has gone into death for us, to take us out of death into life and full life, abundant life. And the one who in such confidence, one of, the, one of the weird joys of a pastor is visiting some people who know they're dying. Now, I say that's a weird joy because, you know, it's like, really? That's, that, that's, there's something about somebody who knows there's something about the twinkle of the eye. You'll see it in some of these folks that are going to Israel this next week. They've got this twinkle. They're about to step into a glorious adventure trip. They don't even know what it's going to fully contain, but they can't wait. I've seen that kind of sparkle in the eyes of those who know they're close to being in his presence. There is a special privilege there of sharing that kind of hope and confidence in God who is not saving us from death, but through death into eternal life. He's told us in John 14 to not be troubled, to believe in God, to believe also in him. In in, in my Father's house, Jesus said, are many mansions, many rooms, many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. 
I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. I will not leave you as orphans. You are mine. You might feel like an orphan. But you're not. You might feel alone. And again, part of what church must be, we've got to connect into the lives of one another because we are the expression of the body of Christ to and for one another. We've got to be that because we're not orphans. We're not islands. We're not isolated. We're not in this, in this great Northwest land of the great independence. We are not independent. We are not alone. We are to be with him. That is his purpose. That is his, his ultimate purpose for him, that where I am, you may be also. And to experience that already, while he's waiting for us to be with him there, he comes again by the Spirit of the living God and indwells us here and flows through us and works through us into the lives of others. Greater works than these we do because he's gone to the Father and the Father has indwelt the church by the Spirit of the living God. What do you need to believe? I don't know what's going on in life. It could be pretty even keel right now, but there's trouble coming. I know that because man was made for trouble as the sparks fly upward. So if you're not sure, start a, have, if you've got a fire pit, don't do this if you don't have a fire pit. You've got a fire pit, put a fire in the backyard, watch which direction the sparks go. If they go up, that means there's trouble coming. That's not a soothsaying kind of a thing, you know, let's find out if there's trouble coming or not, start a fire. They go up every time. And trouble comes every time, sooner or later. It's a humanity thing. And yet, and yet, even in the worst of it, even in chapter 19, you see the very ugliest and worst that humanity can do. And what did I say there in chapter 19? That when humanity brings its worst, God does his best, right? Look what God has done through the very worst that humanity could pour out on one human to another. And look what God has done with it. Look what God has done with it. You need to believe that in the midst of trouble, you can wait, you can trust, because it's in what seems to be the very worst that that's where God does his work, that's where God does his best, and that's where he shows his glory. We're thinking it's supposed to be everything good and perfect and wine at the wedding now. Well, Jesus told his, his mom, he said, my hour is not yet come. I still gave the wine because it's a, it's a, it's a Jesus thing. God wants to bring joy into the midst, and yet we're not, in that, we're not in that hour yet. But do you believe that that is his purpose? And he is coming. Sometimes it's hard to believe. I need to believe it. But sometimes it's hard to believe early on a Sunday morning, going to the tomb to do that last service to a dead Savior. That's what church is a lot of times, right? But it's not. Because he's not dead. He's risen. And we, you're not dead. You are risen in him. 
that God always does just what he said he's going to do. Do you believe it? Why do we read our Bibles? So we'll know what God said he'll do because he actually will. It's not just informing ourselves. that God, this is what he's going to do. And if I want to be in the midst of it, well, I kind of want to know because I want to I come along. Not only I know he's going to bring me along, he, in fact, in fact as, as his own child, even if I'm a bit stubborn and hard-headed, he'll drag me along at times. But you know what? I want to I wanna jump in. I want to be part of this that he's doing. And he says, I get to do too. He says, I can come along and play. I, I want to be in the middle of this. I want to I, I read this because I want to know so I can believe what God is going to do that he said he's going to do because I want to be in the middle of it. The last chapter, the disciples go fishing. Peter says, mm, I don't know where Jesus is. Let's go fishing. Do they go fishing? It's the last time. It's the last time they go fishing at the Sea of Galilee. One last hurrah, I guess, because that's the last time in Galilee. Oh, Peter's going to go fishing. But Jesus says, you follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Jesus helped them fish. Jesus wasn't a fisherman. Jesus was a fisher of men. And because he was, so would they be. Oh, Peter would go fishing. Peter would go fishing in Jerusalem. Peter would go fishing in Joppa. Peter would go fishing at the centurion's house in Caesarea. Peter would go fishing as far as Bithynia and Cappadocia and Dalmatia and a bunch of other places I can't pronounce. Peter would go fishing, it seems, as far as Rome. Look what God would do. Look what God will do through us. Do you believe it? Even when it doesn't seem like it and you say, what do I know? What do I got to offer? Do you believe it? There's a song that's been, it's actually been on the charts, I'm told. I don't follow these things. I follow something stupid like NFL scores instead. <laughs> amen for it's stupid or amen that you follow them? <laughs> Sometimes you don't know what he's saying. <laughs> the, the, but but, but the, the, the number one song over the last year, apparently, on the Christian charts has been the song by Laura Daigle, You Say. Talking about that song, she's, she says, there's this issue of identity and trying to figure out how to exist when I felt like so many things were pulling me in so many different directions. She had her own identity, confusions and issues that she was struggling through. See, I think of a lot of times we build these complexes based on our insecurities, based on our fears, based on our rejection and, and lies that we have to constantly overcome. How do, I, how do I overcome a lie? By believing what is true. She expresses that this way. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just a song of every high and low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I'm weak. 
You say, I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, you say, you say, I am yours. And I believe. Oh, I believe. What do you need to believe? Maybe you need to believe that God really does love you, that God really would forgive you, that God really wants to embrace you, and his son, Jesus, our Savior, has done everything needed. All you need to say is, God, I believe you concerning Jesus. I believe that I am accepted by you into fully restored relationship with you in what you intend for me just on the basis of what Jesus did. Lord, I believe you for that. I receive that gift. It's as simple as that. Do you believe it? Maybe it's, I believe I have his forgiveness, and I know that I keep needing it, but I am scrambling in life trying to find something to scratch this itch, something to fill this craving, something to meet the, the longings that he alone can satisfy. Do you believe that it's in him that we come to, if anyone thirsts, that we can come unto him and drink, that he is the one that's satisfied? God will fulfill us. We were made in his image. Relationship in him is what we were made for. Do you believe it? Take the next step in fulfilling that. How do we do that? Well, with his body, with the body of Christ, that we have relationship with God himself, and yet we share in that relationship with his family. And we do it well with one another. Do you believe that God would, in fact, use you? That a, a Gideon Bible that you would place could be used for who knows how far. Do you believe that the kindness, I, I received an email last night from somebody that I do not remember thanking me for knowing, no, I know the Holy Spirit drew me, Bob, but, but 20 plus years ago, he used you in doing that. I don't even remember him. You don't know what do you believe that God will use you in the in a kind word of God's grace and hope expressed to somebody in the midst of troubles that life will easily bring I know I need to believe that I'm fully accepted by my father because of Jesus I need I need to believe that it, it, Aside from all the distractions and shiny stuff and things that I think are going to make me feel better, my God and my Savior is the one I need, and I need to believe that he'll use me in spite of my failing, shortcoming, and weaknesses. Lord, I believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us your word so that we can know you 
and we can believe you. We can receive from you life so that we can walk in, we can live in that life, and we can give your life to others. Lord, we dare to believe it. We dare that you, to believe that you love us. We dare to believe that you will fulfill us. We dare to believe that you will use us. Father, we'll express that belief even in this morning's offering. We'll dare to lay these prayer burdens, things that press on us, we'll lay them before you in prayer on those cards. We will give out of what you've given us. We'll give that back to you asking just this, that you would use that for your glory in the drawing of someone else to yourself, that they could know you and believe you too. Father, we will give something that we have this morning that Gideon Bibles could go to others. We will encourage that ministry because we believe that your word is written to give life. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.